We're going to be in our Bibles, if you have one of those and want to turn the page or spin over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to dive into that scripture this morning and learn about a great example of a, of a mom in the scripture. And I, I hope this story blesses you. Mom, I hope this ministers to you and dads too, all of us, because this is the word of God. It's not just a story about a woman. There's a spiritual story and there's a purpose here. And we're going to talk about this woman particularly named Hannah. And we're just going to see what the Lord says. So I'm going to move through the Scripture, uh, read most of it. It's a lot to read, but, but I think it's important, and it is the Word of the Lord. There was a certain man from Mamathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanai. Okay? He's the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf and Ephraimite. See, the scripture is, it's important that the scripture shares genealogy. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penene. Penene had children, but Hannah had none. Okay, that's the scripture. Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penine and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penene, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Typical guy response, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. She kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli, another smart man, thought she was drunk. And said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away the wine. Okay, the guys are, are shooting bad bullets here today. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Now early in the morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant 
and she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. What a story. It's a story that resonates in a lot of people's hearts because we're all close to this idea of being a mom. And some of us, even some in this room, are close to this idea of struggling with even having a child. So we see her pain. She's a woman in great distress. We see and feel her anxiety, her, her torture about not having a child. And we also see the Lord's miracle. Verse 21 says, When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make his good his word good. And so the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as, as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Incredible story. Incredible. Very familiar to some of you. And it takes place during a time in the history of Israel that we call the period of the Judges. This is before Israel had a king, after Moses and Joshua, and it's a period of about 330 years or so. And there's a shift in how the people of Israel are learning to be led and to learn to live as, as a nation. And judges were military-type governors. They're not kings ex- yet. It's, it's just what fell into place by God after Moses and Joshua. And as the years unfolded, one of the characteristics of the leaders, the judges in that era, and the people, according to the Scripture, is this. Every man did what was right in his own eye. Judges 21 and 25, it says, In those days Israel did not have a king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's the culture into which this baby Samuel is about to be born. And at first glance, that might sound popular, intriguing, every leader or person to do whatever seems right in their own eyes. But for a nation that was called to follow God, it had created a a train wreck. And in reality, this phrase, every man, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, describes a nation that was not following God, at least not consistently. Sometimes they followed God, sometimes they didn't, depended upon the leader, and it caused lots of problems for them. They were being pushed around by leaders, uh, enemies of other nations. They were not in a good place spiritually. God was withholding His Word from them. He was withholding the visions that the Scripture would say were so important to them. And it was a spiritual dry time. And that's the world in which Hannah is living. There was corruption in the priesthood. Eli was high priest at Shiloh at the time, and his two sons were corrupt, and they used their positions inappropriately. And so we meet this man, Elkanai, and he seems to be a decent man who's trying to follow after God. And However, he has two wives, and that's uncomfortable for us in our culture today. And imagine the problems he has just because of that. And we see, we see the problem. We see the dysfunction. 
between Hannah and Penene, which sounds like a sandwich or a pasta, right? And that's exactly what say. So your name is stupid. It sounds like a pasta. So man, I don't care what you say. But it was a different period of time and culture. And But this guy had his hands full, okay? I don't care that it was kind of okay with the culture. That was a, a difficult family. Because there's a rough struggle of dysfunction in this family that has to do with this whole idea of barrenness. Yet, year after year, the Scripture tells us, he, he went up and he sacrificed to the Lord. So there's something in his heart that draws him to God, that draws him toward worshiping the God that he knows about. And Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle had landed. That's where their holy center of culture was. And we, and we see something interesting in verse 4. Whenever the day came for a kind of sacrifice, he would give a portion of the meat to Penene and all those sons and daughters. And to Hannah, he gave a double portion. So it was the custom uh, at a certain part of the season, at, at this time of sacrifice, that a portion of the meat would go to the altar a portion of the meat would go to the priest, and then the family could have a feast. And so when they got their feast, he would give a double portion to Hannah. There's an implication there that he loved her. The implication is that she's the first wife. But because she was unable to have children in that world, that period of time, it was a horrible thing for her. And that's probably why he has the second wife, because he wants to have the sons. I know you're shuddering about that, but that's a different culture. Don't blame me. Because in that culture, if a woman had no children, it was thought that God was withholding from her, and she was to blame. Now, our culture does things like that to people who struggle too. We find a way to gaslight them. We find a way to blame them for their problems. Well, it was the same way then, except it was even richer and deeper in challenge because literally people thought if you couldn't have a son, you really just didn't have any value, and so you could marry somebody else. didn't matter. This infertility battle was huge for them, as it's tough for us too. And there's a pain and a sense of incompleteness for people who have struggled for that, even in our culture today. But for them, there were spiritual issues, cultural issues, and it was very, very horrible. So, again, to have children, especially boys, was at least one of the main purposes of being a woman at all. So this was a huge weight of failure upon Hannah. It's a horrible thing that was resting upon her. And Penene is no help. She's no help. She's jealous. She's got her kids. She's, she thinks she's the legitimate lady in the bunch. And she just makes fun of and pokes fun and prods Hannah all their life every year. And she even says ugly things like, where's your God now that you've been praying to? It's horrible. When I was a kid and it would be time for touch football, you guys have heard me say we'd divide up into two teams and a captain would be picked for each side, usually the best athletes. And I would hope and hope and hope during the picking that my name would get called. And usually it came last. But it came and it felt embarrassing to me. It felt awkward. You know, and there was one time a guy picked me first and I thought, oh my God, I have finally learned to play football. Wasn't true. He was just being nice. But I felt embarrassed. I felt awkward. Well, ladies in that day that could not have children, felt unpicked for their entire life. Never picked by God to have a child. And so she spends her life wondering and agonizing about what she can do to be picked by God. And so this was a huge problem for her. And so Hannah would live on in this family, even though he marries again, but she's going to be blamed for the problems that the family is having. This is a horrible, dysfunctional thing she's looked down upon. Even though it's clear her husband loved her, Gave her extra food. 
And there's a lot of drama in this story as Penene grew to resent Hannah and even make fun of her and torment her. She was brutal about it. Verse 6 says, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her to irritate her. And it went on year after year. They would even go to church. They'd go up to the tabernacle, to the temple, to worship God. And Penene is bringing all this mess. Imagine the holidays at this house, huh? Anyway, you, you got to see something here. This is a season of deep, unrelenting pain for Hannah. And I know that Mother's Day can be bittersweet for some women because they wanted children, they haven't had them. And it can be hard to even come to services like this one. I understand that. I've, my mother lost her mom on Mother's Day. So Mother's Day was always bittersweet to her. It's, it's a deep and sacred part of us to want to have a child. And if anyone is experiencing that struggle online today or even in this room, I pray for your healing and the hope that's in your heart. And I hope that allows you to see how important it was for Hannah to try to figure out this problem. Guys, don't fall asleep in this message today. There's stuff for you too. It's not all about the women, but the focus is certainly here on this woman and how she responds to this very real issue in life, this struggle of being unpicked by God. Or a deeper way to say it would be unblessed. I'm always fascinated by how each of us is taught in life or compelled to paint a picture of life that is far more ideal than it ends up being. Most of the time, we think our life should be smooth. There should be no conflict. We should have the number of kids we want. Everything should fall into place. We should get the job we want, the situation we want. And it's horrifying and it's difficult for us when we start living life and we discover that life pushes back and it doesn't turn out like we want it to. But that still leaves us sometimes wounded and thinking that something is wrong with us because we'll look around at other people and we will suggest that they're far more blessed than us because everything seems to have fallen in place. But I can tell you, as a pastor and a counselor, I promise you this, everybody's got problems. And everybody faces those problems in one similar way, and that is this. They feel like when there's a problem, something is wrong with them. And sometimes there is some growth that needs to happen. Or sometimes it's just that life has dealt a bad hand your way. I dreamed as a kid of being athletic and amazing and having a big bulging chest, and I still don't have that chest. I, guys, I work out. Isn't that sad? No, I don't. I'm lying. I did work out. Okay, so there was that two-week period that I worked out. And I'm telling you, I see guys that have all this muscular ability, and, and I remember being in the military, and we're overseas, and we're shooting hoops, and all the guys were just amazing athletes. Military dudes can be really, really amazing people, individuals, and athletes. I was a clerk, okay, so I was not one of the amazing military-type guys. So we'd be shooting baskets, and everybody would be shooting hoops and just, oh, man, amazing things. And I would shoot, and invariably one of the guys would say, Alan, come here, let me, have, let me show you how to shoot a basketball. And they would try to help me. And I learned a lot of things just from that one really nice man who was merciful to me. But I wasn't like the rest of them. I wanted to be so badly. I had it in my mind that to be like them was the right thing. That's a lie. That's a lie. And that's how we feel. That's how Hannah felt. Except there was a religious culture behind that that pushed her down. So she felt horrible and unblessed. And if you feel less than and unblessed today, you are not alone. 
And all that was the setting for a very deep-seated pain. Her, her soul is in turmoil. But there's something really wonderful taking place in the midst of this turmoil. When you read the story carefully, you see this. This is clearly a woman who loves God. She loves Him. She knows God. Even in the midst of this crazy spiritual culture that is turning its back on God in many ways, she stays true to God. She's prayerful. She's loving. And we know she's prayed hours and hours and hours, and she's agonized before God. Have you ever agonized before God? If you have, you know what she felt like in part. And that's my first push towards your heart this morning, is, is where you sit with your love for God matters in this struggle that we call life. It really does. Where you, where you are compelled to know God. You know, and church going is just one part of knowing God. There's a personal, divine, sacred, wonderful, amazing relationship that lives in our hearts. And people think going to church is all it takes. That's not what it's about. God wants a deep and personal relationship with you. And He wanted it with people in those days too. Hannah had a deep, abiding, personal relationship with God. And still she struggled in life. Life landed hard on her. And the result of that was a family relationship was a mess and dysfunction and horrible things happening to her. She couldn't eat right. She struggled, she struggled, she struggled. And so verse 9 tells us again, one day when they had finished eating and, and drinking in Shiloh, she stood up. And the priest was sitting in his chair, and in her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord and started weeping. She's weeping. She's at this event, this cultural normal event, and she starts weeping. And I'm telling you, this isn't the first time she's done it, but maybe it's the first time she stood up at the temple and started weeping bitterly before God. And she ramps something up with God, and she starts making a vow. She says, Lord, if you'll only look at my misery and remember me and not forget me, but give me a son, I'll give him to you. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept praying, and that's when Eli saw her, and he thought she was drunk. What a silly priest. He had bad form there. He's not being sensitive to the pain that this woman is in. But clearly, this was unusual And she makes a vow, and I would warn you about making vows. Those are tricky things. But in this case, I don't think that she's trying to negotiate with God. Sometimes we do that. We say, God, if you'll do this thing, I'll stop doing this, or I will do this. But I think what she's trying to show us here is is not negotiation, but determination. Determination. And that's an important trait for those of us who want to love God, know God, and serve God is that we be determined about the thing that God has given us to be determined about it. And we're starting here to see how this Scripture can really help us all. Fierce determination is a great trait, guys. As long as that determination is about walking toward the great things that God has for your life, I challenge you, I call you today, be determined. Hebrews 10.36 says, You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you can receive what was promised. Endurance, determination to stand in the will of God. 
Friends will stop liking you when you stand in the will of God sometimes. Friendships can be disrupted because you stand in the will of God sometimes. But stand. Ephesians 6 and 11 says, put on the full armor of God. He uses that expression armor because this is a bit of a battle that we experience in life sometimes so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, the playbook of Satan. He teaches us to be determined about it. And that's what she's doing when she takes this vow. She's taking a stand with God. She's saying, God, hear me. Sometimes you need to decide your path with God, and you need to stand there. And what she promises to God, that if her son is given to her, if God grants this prayer, she says something interesting. She says this whole thing about it. I will see to it that he never shaves his head. And that meant something rich in that culture. It meant that she will see that he becomes devoted to the God to God is what we call a Nazarite. And the Nazarite thing was built around a vow that people could take. And it usually was simply a period of time. You could do it for 30 days or six months or a year or two. And usually it was 30-day minimum period. And the individual would be in complete devotion to God during this season. They didn't drink alcohol. They didn't shave. They looked unkept. And they followed other strict rules. But one of the big signs was the unshaven head, unshaven face. Samson was one of those guys. John the Baptist was too, by the way. He's following that same order of devotion, commitment. But she ups the ante on this. She says, I promise that he will serve you as a Nazarite, except he's going to do it all of his life. She makes that promise to God. That means she's going to dedicate him to the Lord and she's going to give up the comforts, some of the comforts at least, that she would enjoy of having a son at home. And so the scripture teaches us that she literally takes him as a child to go and live when he's old enough to live and serve in the tabernacle. And she left him in the care of Eli in the tabernacle ministry. She remained connected to him, but that's where he grew up. He grew up in the tabernacle. He was mentored by Levi and others and Wow, what a guy Samuel became. Samuel grew up to be one of the most famous judges and a rock star prophet. He showed great influence over the kings of Israel. In fact, God used him to choose the kings. Called by God to select and anoint kings. First Samuel 2.26 says, The boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Amazing. And it all began with a praying mama. It all began with a mama in pain. Guys, sometimes prayer starts because there's an agony. There's a struggle. And that's a good thing. It's, 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 it's part of living life where pain occurs and things hurt and things happen to us. And it leaves us in pain and that will draw us to God. It's a tragedy that sometimes that's what it takes to draw us close to God. But The beautiful thing about this story is this, that God answered her agony and gave her a son. It's an incredible outcome. Incredible outcome. By the way, she had five more children. Five more. Now, there's a lot to learn from this lady, okay? And I want to lay down some kind of practical thoughts about it. And I I call this sort of cornerly a recipe for hope. And the first is this. When you know you need hope in your life, when you know that there's a struggle in your life that you're struggling to overcome, when you know you're just trying to put 
an imperfect life together, and everybody has an imperfect life. Number one, believe in God's power to shape your purpose, your life. Your life matters to God. My prayers matter to God. Not just other people, not just other people that seem to have it all together. Your prayers manna. And, and Hannah's story tells us that God is willing to help when we're weak. We have this crazy notion that we have to present ourselves to God as strong. When God says, I know you, come to me as you are. Remember that from last week's message. He understands that we're weak. He gets that. And Hannah's story tells me that God cares about what is on our hearts. And often we don't feel very confident about what God has us doing in life. And I'm not talking about just ministry things. I'm just talking about everyday life, just having a job, having relationships, all the challenges of things. All these things to a believer makes up our callings. But sometimes we feel so uncomfortable just doing everyday life that we struggle even to do those things. And I want to, I want you to see the hand of God in her life and believe that God has a power to shape you for the job, to shape you for motherhood, to shape you for being a father, a grandfather, for being a friend, for being a good husband, being a good wife, all those things. God has the power to shape us. Job 42 and 2 says, I know that you can do all things. Speaking to God, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There's something we need in this story, something we need to hear about God's passionate ability to move in our lives and to shape us. There's something else we see here that I think fascinates me. There's a little bit of this there that we see in, in that in life God gives, but also God takes away. God does allow us to struggle. God also gives us blessings we don't even ask for, amazing things we can't even count. But yet he also does allow us to suffer, and there's a sovereign teaching there about God. And so when you look at the life of Hannah or others like her who received what they're praying for and, and getting what it seems like they need, you may struggle with that. And what we should see is that Hannah's life is that she cried out to the Lord, even when she had nothing, she praised him, even when she, had, when she didn't have what she wanted, she worshipped him even when she didn't have what she requested. And in every case, her focus was on God rather than herself. The writer C.S. Lewis, some of you know about, he said this, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. God alone is where God wants to take us. That's the part that God wants us all to get to. And I think that's the hard path of life. The hard path of life is of wanting all the things that are around us, and I'm guilty of it too. All the things that I think symbolize my success when God says, I just want you to know me and need me. And that was the lesson for Hannah. So number one, believe in God's power to shape your purpose. Number two, don't let others keep you from your purpose. What God has for you to do is between you and God, and there will be critics. Her biggest critic was the lady that lived in the other part of the house. She taunted her, made fun of her faithfulness to God. This was enormous dysfunction. This was a horrible family. It was, it was cruel, and, it, and you see the jealousy, and you see the weak mind, and you see the weak heart. and That's the human condition. That's the world we live in. 
And even her husband, even her husband couldn't get it right. He, he, was, he said to her, as we would, am I not enough for you? I could be guilty of having said that. Look at what all I've done. That should be enough. He seems insecure, doesn't he? But guys, there are people around you that just will not be able to understand your spiritual passion. They won't. Could be family. Could be close friends. They aren't seeing what you're seeing. They aren't wanting the same things in life. And I think you see that especially as you, as you walk through your life in high school. You start to see the difference between a, a believing high school student and non-believers. And you start to see the choices that you have to make because you believe and how that can impact others. And as you go into college and young adult life and the friends that, friendships that you try to form and how you solve problems in life, and people will see perhaps that you're different, and, and you find it hard to kind of mesh in a culture that doesn't always respect what you believe. But God says be determined about that. And don't let other people stand in the way of your purpose. Paul warned us to keep our heads down. Galatians chapter 5, he said, You were running a good race. What stopped you? What stopped you? So this teaches us something, and and it teaches me a lot. And one thing is that others can and will sometimes actually work to prevent our success spiritually and even practically because they have influence on us. And influence can be good and it can be bad. And I want to suggest to you today, my friends, you need friends around you who also want great things from God. So if you're a student young adult, middle adult, older adult, you need friends around you who also want what you want from God. Number three, whatever your purpose, devote it to God. Whatever it is you're doing in life, give that to God. It's obvious to me that God placed the desire in her heart to have this child. I believe that. And 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This passage in Corinthians, of course, was written to help some believers stop arguing about religious practices. And, and they were f- discussing different ways that they should be worshiping God with eating and drink. And Paul t- told them to cut to the deep chase, and that is this. Whatever it is you find to do, make the purpose of that to bring glory to God. And that can affect things in a huge way in your life. When you're always asking the question, does this thing that I'm doing is this person that I have become, does it give God glory? Can I devote it to Him? And I want to go deeper still with the next point this morning. Put what you cherish the most into God's hands. This is a tough one. Hannah longed for a child. She believed it was, God, it was God's plan for her life. And I think that's clear to us. Like I said, God gave her the child. And she went through the pregnancy she threw up in the mornings. She had the back pain. She, came, she craved uh, waffles with butter and syrup and pickles. She was grumpy to her husband. Her husband acted stupid. And she went through childbirth. And there were no epidurals in Hannah's day. It's tough. And she raised a newborn. And she went through what some of our young moms are going through right now trying to get this kid to go to sleep at night. Just stop crying. Go to sleep. Stop it. Please, God, take her back. When I first had our, our, my first daughter, it felt like she was a China doll and she was going to break. 
you know, that feeling, and you're just so afraid to take care of this child. And at first they seem so sweet and so helpless and wonderful, and they smell good, and all that changes. They start to stink, and, and they start to become possessed by some devil that makes them cry, and you don't know why. So you're up at night, why are you crying? I just need sleep, I have to work for you. Don't you know I'm going to get a job, I have a job, all because of you? She went through all of that, and she was in love with this son. And she raised him until he was able to eat solid food and appear to be a human. And then the Bible says, she gave him back to God. That's a great story. She gave him back to the Lord. I'm thinking about the variety of careers and businesses we have in this church. It's, it's amazing. We have agriculture and education, legal, retail, service, technology. In every case, the path that God's given you guys to take is, is wonderful. And I'm telling you this, if you are a godly person, I know this. I know you spent some time on your knees about your business and about your life with God. If you haven't, you need to. Because God is a part of that. And every path you take has a genuine challenge. Every path. You sweat, you work hard, you get obsessed, you lose sleep, you try with all of your might to make it work, you cherish it just like a baby. And you know in your mind, the pastor's told you, God gave you that, He blessed you with talent, spiritual giftings and opportunity. And I'm telling you the key to success in life is this. Here's the key. Here's the key. Take everything that you have and everything that you are and give it to God. That's hard for me. I love to get the credit. I really do. I like to shine. And God thwarts that all the time. He says, I'm not going to let your plans even look like they're your plans. Because I'm going to mess with you and show you how great I am. And I'm going to give you more than you ever dreamed. But I want you to give it to me. Everything we have belongs to Him. You know that. But giving it to Him can be hard. And that applies to every single thing you have ever had in life that you cherish. Your work, your marriage, your friendships, and your children. How many of you, you don't have to raise a hand, but how many of you have had to say, when it comes to your child, Lord, I'm just going to have to give this to you. I can't fix this. I can't change this. And see, that powerless place is where God can do his best work. That place where you don't know the answer, that's where God can do his best work. That place where your talent isn't enough, that's where God shines. And, and Hannah did this. She, she turned it back to the Lord. And then she gives us this mind-bending statement in Scripture that says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. And so now I give him to the Lord, and for his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Guys, here's what you got to know. When you give your best to God, you haven't lost anything. God just takes it and makes it better. And God blesses it with hope. If you don't believe me, you've got to read chapter 2, verse 1 very carefully. The Scripture gives us this wonderful prayer and song, honestly. It says, Hannah prayed and said, 
Okay, this is a lady that was in agony. This was a lady that was tortured by her roommate. This is a lady that gave finally gave birth to a child and gave him back to the Lord. And here's what she thought about it. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. I delight in your deliverance. That's a different prayer than the one before Eli. She's on the other side of a miracle. And it's always a more fun place to be. But when you get what you want, when you found the blessing that you craved, guys, don't stop praying. In fact, pray more and bring praise into that. She prays and rejoices. She declares, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. This ram's horn, this horn you could blow, that ancient Israel would blow sounds that would call the people to worship. It was. It came to be a symbol of God's strength and greatness. It came to be a symbol of getting our attention to worship God. She says, I raise my horn high, and in the Lord my horn is raised up, and I'm able to celebrate Him. She's proclaiming God's strength, proclaiming His sovereignty, and she makes it so personal. God's strength is her strength. That's a place I want to be. His strength. It's my horn being lifted up. It's not bragging. It's not bragging when God does it. You can't brag about what God does. You can't brag because you know it wasn't you. God has a way of doing things to let us know that it's Him. God's strength has allowed her to overcome her enemies, overcome her voice of discouragement. So moms today... And I know some moms that I'm thinking of right now in my heart that are really having some struggles with their children, issues, circumstances. They're so painful. I know there are mothers who want to be mothers. I know there are dads who are trying hard to do the right thing by their children. It can be very challenging to be a parent, but I want you to understand something. God calls us to have a determined hope. And that's my prayer for all of you today. A mother's hope is a hope that is fixed. Even though you don't see what you want to see, you keep praying, you keep being determined, and you keep hoping. And here's what I know. God hears that prayer. So I'm praying for you guys today. I love you so much. And I know you pray for me because I need the same things that you do. I need the same kinds of prayers to be prayed over my life and my heart and my marriage, my relationship with this kid over here. My son just did driving school. It's frightening to me. He's about to drive a car down the highway, yet he can't remember to take out the garbage at home. That's scary. I love him so much, and I want to be a good dad, but it's only going to be through the power of God that that happens. I know that. I pray for him more than he knows. His mom prays for him. His mom's been praying for him. We, we see notes in our books at home before he was born, praying for his, his wife. Some of you have done that too. There's power in that, guys. That's not foolishness. That's good things. And I call you to all those things today. Would you bow your heads with me? I love you so much, Lord. I can... God, I get up here sometimes and I just crave to be able to pour everything that's in my mind and heart out that you've done for me perhaps in the past week, the things you've shown me. I I thank you so much, God, that you're able to speak to us in ways that we cannot explain. 
So speak to us today, God. I pray, first of all, God, for moms that are struggling. Bless them, Lord, in their struggling. Bless them, Lord, for those who couldn't even come to church today because of illness and family problems and circumstances of life. Bless those moms, God, that are watching. Bless the new moms in our church, Lord, who are going through this time of learning how to be a mom and have a child and bless the fathers alongside of them. And bless God the moms that are raising children in high school and middle school and elementary school and just praying so hard for them just to find their pace and find their place in this world. Bless them today. I pray for moms whose children have left the nest and that are watching from afar in some cases.